Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. I'm sitting here in Nazareth at the end of July 2021 with two people who are very involved in a fascinating organization about which we'll hear in a second, uh, Danny El-Azhar and Reem Yunus. So first of all, both of you, thank you very much for joining the conversation. Thank you. And uh, Danny, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in the organization and what your role in it is. Reem will do the same thing with you. And then the two of you can tell us what Hand in Hand is and what its purpose is. Okay, so thank you for having me on your podcast, Daniel. Uh, I actually was born in the States, uh, Detroit, Michigan, but I came to Israel very young, three years old. Um, and actually, I grew up in Rishon Etzion. I started my career in the high-tech industry. I've been in high-tech for quite a few years. I'm a company that was one of the pioneers of the high-tech, of the Wi-Fi in, it, in the world, actually. And in uh, 2001, I decided to make a change in life, and I started to study in Mandel Institute, the uh, leadership program, educational leadership program, and I got involved in an initiative of founding a school in Modin, where I moved to, which is uh, uh, like a community school in the States. Uh, it's uh, Orthodox and secular families and kids studying together in one school. Uh, my three daughters studied in the school. Actually, the youngest graduated a, week, a few weeks ago. I was the CEO of the uh, NGO that led this campus, and today it's a campus that goes from uh, preschool all the way to 12th grade with a special education school within it. From there, I moved to the Hartman Institute, and there I was uh, a, a vice president and in charge of all the Israeli programs, where the leading program was the Be'eri program, which brought uh, pluralistic Judaism into the uh, public schools in Israel, the secular public schools. And that's what brings me to shared society, because as I was in the Hartman Institute, and we were dealing a lot with topics of what it means to have a Jewish democratic state. And we understood, we talk a lot about the relationships between Jews and Arabs in Israel, but we're not actually doing anything. And we started a, a program there that dealt with shared society for educators. And actually that's when I understood, as a Jew in Israel, that I talk a lot about it. I say the right words from my point of view as a liberal, but actually I'm not doing anything and I know nothing about Arab society in Israel. And I've never met and actually had deep conversations with Arabs in Israel. And that was like, that was that moment when I said, something's wrong here. This is not right. As a Jew in Israel. And we started this program and suddenly 
my network became much wider, much more diverse, much more interesting. And uh, we brought in Teharman both uh, also staff and of course educators, Arab educators. And I learned so much about Arab society in Israel, which I had no idea before, about their history, about the culture, the language, uh, what they're dealing with here in Israel. Um, what their feeling is of Israel as a democracy, which is very different what I felt about Israel as a democracy. And uh, after uh, being in Hartman for nine years and leading also this program which in, in Hartman for Shared Society, that's when I decided to leave Hartman and to continue my career uh, dealing with shared society in, in uh, civic society, dealing with shared society, and that's what brought me to Hand in Hand. And what's your role in Hand in Hand? And I'm today the CEO of Hand in Hand. Uh, Hand in Hand is a bilingual, multicultural network of schools and communities, which is all, actually the only place which brings together uh, Jewish and Arab families and kids on a day-to-day -day basis, where they study, uh, they're being educated, they live together, they teach each other, and the idea is on an, an equal basis. So languages, culture, history are equal in our schools. And we'll talk about that probably later in our conversation also about the significance of the idea of studying history, culture, and dealing with identity both of Jews and Palestinians within Israel. And these schools are K through 12, right? They're, some, they're in different modes. They're uh, schools that are growing. There's one school in Jerusalem that goes all the way to 12. We have today schools in seven locations with over 2,000 students in all schools and over 10,000 community members who are all involved in our schools. And as we discuss, I also say what's so unique about these schools in Israel because I'm sure for many Americans it will sign very normal that everybody studies together. Right, which is not in Israel, but we'll come back to that. So Reem, um, a little bit about you and your your professional world outside Hand in Hand and then how you got involved in Hand in Hand and what your role is. Yeah, uh, well, my name is Reem Yunis. I'm a Nazarene. I define myself and here's the difference. Here we start the difference between how, how Danny defines uh, Arab and Jews, and I would define myself as a Palestinian Israeli. Yeah, just to clarify, that was that Danny, not just Danny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Danny was that. Okay. Yeah. I use both. Really. I yeah. Agree, I agree with no, you. No, I know, but I mean, it shows yeah. it shows the the difference. I mean, I was I was trying to say this just to Absolutely. to I would say I would say like you said, you you do not understand, and you started learning about it, uh, and this is part of, of understanding the, the other side. So I'm um, uh, Palestinian-Israeli. I grew up in Nazareth. Um, I, I went to the Technion to pursue, to, to get a civil engineering degree, and there I met a very, very special person. His name is Imad Yunus, and together we started uh, a high-tech company named Alpha Omega and we started it actually because we could not find jobs in the Israeli market just because the names were we had Arab names and not because of our of our resume and so we said I mean like it it can't be that the Arab community is is not 
involved in the high tech in the Israeli high tech ecosystem. So we said, like, if we can't if we can't work with them, we'll we'll start our own company. And basically, we started Alpha Omega about 30 years ago, little by bootstrap company, little by little. The company is considered leader in uh, neurosurgery. We help neurosurgeons implant electrodes in the brains of people to treat them from uh, neural disorders like Parkinson's disease. And this is the part of the company. But together with that, I mean, like after, I believe after 20 years, we looked at the company and we saw that we're not having the impact in, in Nazareth, in the periphery, and in Israel. And basically that was the time when we decided to go back to the mission of the company and to check why we are here beside the business. And we decided that we want to impact our community and we want to close all of these, to help close all of these gaps between the Arab community and the, and the Jewish community. Of course, we're not government, like we're limited with what we can do, but we said, I mean, the thing that we can impact are, the, are our three E's, which are to, to lead in the education and to, to encourage people to get good education and then to help them with their employment, to get good employment and to gain experience. And after that, we want them to go back to their villages and communities and start their own businesses, which is entrepreneurship. So this is part of what Alpha Omega believes in to support the three E's, which are education, employment, and entrepreneurship. And I believe from that corner, uh, Danny and uh, Danny's road and my road crossed together. Uh, so today, uh, I think we've been two years. I'm a board member at Hand in Hand, uh, and I'm enjoying every, every minute of it. Uh, I can explain, you know, how how I how I how I started to be a board member, how I reached to be a board member, and was that one of the Yushverosh uh, chairs contacted me, say like we want you in the board. I was like, I don't have any time, so I'm, I'm not going to do this. But after that, they came to visit us in the company and they brought two graduates from Hand in Hand School. One was an Arab young lady and the other one was a Jewish young lady. And I still remember like when they entered, I was like, who's who? I, I couldn't tell the difference. You know, they both spoke fluent Hebrew and very good Arabic. And I couldn't, like, I was stressed, you know, like who, who's the Arab young lady and who's the Jewish young lady? And then I was, I, I have to be part of this project. It's, it's so amazing. So this, this is my story. And we're so proud to have somebody like you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm proud to be part of this. Just project. out of curiosity, how many people does Alpha Omega employ now? Alpha Omega now is employing about 80, 80 employees in Nazareth, another 40 abroad in the US, in Europe, and in China. Wow. Oh, OK, great. So uh, why don't we? Talks. So we have a bi a bilingual bicultural school. 
um, seven of them across the country, different ranges of ages, because some of the schools are newer and some of them are more veteran. So in Jerusalem, where I live, the school goes K through 12. Other ones are just starting. I, I think, um, which one is, which is the newest one now? In Kfarqasim. Kfarqasim, right. Right off the six, for people that uh, know if you're driving north, it's on the right-hand side of the six. Um, story, a, a town with a lot of history. A very famous Israeli tragic Supreme Court case about something that happened in October 1956, which we can talk about at a different time, but Kafar Qasim is a very, it's a loaded place because of the problematic history, so it's actually very moving that there's a school there. But um, So why don't we just say something a little bit about um, who are the people that elect to go to this kind of a school? It's not, I would guess, your standard Jewish-Israeli citizen, and I'm going to guess it's not your standard Arab-Israeli citizen. I'd be curious to hear if it's Muslims and Christians or just Muslims. Um, so tell us a little bit about who's part of this school and what these, what these parents are seeking for their children and what they're seeking for themselves. Right, so um, maybe I'll say a few words about the Israeli educational systems to understand what's right. so unique and what brings those parents to the schools because the, the Israeli system is built in tracks. There's a Jewish track, there's an Arab track. The Jewish track is also divided, Orthodox, secular, ultra-Orthodox. The Arab is divided, there's Muslim and Christian. This is the way the Israeli system is built and it has historical reasons which I think are less interesting to go into now, but uh, if you'd like, we can do that also. And um, what we're actually doing is we're saying uh, many times we talk about the gaps in society and about how so society here is segregated and we're trying to bridge between the tracks and say yes in order to create shared society you have to bring together Jews and Arabs to study together because if not they never meet we live in separated cities or towns separated schools uh, uh, we learn uh, also many times in the universities, we don't study together. Employment used to be, today it's getting better, but also used to be very separated. And even media, we listen to the different media. We have different narratives even about what's happening today because there's the Hebrew media and there's the Arabic media. So how can you create shared society if we never meet? And then when you do meet, what happens when you meet? There's so much fear when you meet. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing in hand in hand actually is saying, let's start creating those bridges because you need the bridges all over, but let's start creating those bridges when kids are in school, when they're being educated. So now you asked about the parents who come and who, and who are the families. So usually the first core group is a very ideological group of parents, both Jews and Arabs, Palestinians. Uh, very ideological. They want to change, they are, they're coming to change society. They're coming for their kids, they're coming for their families, but they also, they have a goal, they have a mission. This is part of change, make, creating change in Israeli society and pushing for shared society. So that's usually the first group. And most of our new schools are uh, founded by parents. They come to us and they say, we want to found a school. Like there was schools in Falkasim, there are two neighboring cities, Falkasim and Roshan, that hardly don't have much contact, and come a group of parents and say, we want to change that. We want to bring our populations together. So that's the first group of parents usually. As the school grows and succeeds, we have, of course, additional layers, I'd say, that way. Most parents, of course, and most families see shared society as something very important, but then some, you know, are uh, looking also for additional. They're looking for a good school. Um, 
I'd also say, and it's very important to say, that in Arab society, there, there are not as much alternatives as in Jewish society here in Israel. The Arab educational system is a weak educational system. And if you look at statistics, and that's something also that has to be changed in Israel, today in statistics, every stu Arab student in the regular schools gets between 10 to 40% less budgets than a Jewish student gets in the regular Jewish system. So the systems are, are, there's a big gap. So for many Arab families, our schools are also an opportunity to get better education and to be, uh, have more abilities to, uh, uh, I mean, when we ought, uh, skills, skills or expertise. Skills, skills and expertise to, to, uh, to, to succeed in life looking forward. So that's, so that's why also we have a, a larger demand on the Arab side. Jewish side has many alternatives for schools. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, every family that comes to hand in hand also sees in different levels of how important it is for them. How do we change society here in Israel and how do we create change? And that also what creates a strong and vibrant community life. And that's something we also support as hand in hand because we're not talking only about a network of schools, we're talking also about communities. And the parents have to be involved because the parents grew up in the separated systems. So we have in every uh, community, we have a community organizer who's in charge of creating community activities for families and sometimes only for parents also, which include dialogue sessions, which include learning languages, mainly Arabic for Jews because the Arabs know Hebrew, uh, learning about the cultures, and of course celebrating holidays together and uh, also fun activities so people just get together and, and enjoy each other. And the last thing I'll say about this because every family who joins hand in hand has to know that creates a different model of Israeli society, which means equality. We try to create a situation in which 50% of the students are Arab, 50% are Jewish. All holidays are taught about and celebrated together. The even the vacation calendar of the students is based on holidays of all religions, and we do have Muslims, Christians, and Jews in our schools, again, depending on the location. Among the Palestinian Israelis, what's the breakdown between Muslims and Christians? And it's a big majority of Muslims, just as it is in society. And uh, so, so the culture, the public sphere is very is based on equality. Uh, also, when you study history, you study different narratives of the history of that are brought by the Palestinian Israelis and by the Jews. Um, so, uh, so when you come into the school, you have to come in, in with a mode that says, "Yes, I, I want to promote equality, and I'm willing to deal with it as well as a parent, and not only leave it to the kids." So you have to create an ecosystem for the kids to live in that kind of environment when Israeli society altogether is very different. Rima, is that your sense also of what the uh, Palestinian Israelis who are coming to these schools are seeking? Yeah, I believe, yeah, I mean, like what Danny explained is, is, is very right. But also what he mentioned, maybe he did not stress that, that it's part of lack, lack of uh, options. Like if if... I mean, I'm, I'm just like Danny, you were, you were speaking and I was trying to, to think like if we start hand in hand in Nazareth, 
but Nazareth has lots of good private schools, so would the attraction be the same? So it's it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. But uh, I mean, from the other side, looking at this as it's as it's one of the only options for for the Arab side of the students of the families, but it is creating a good a good thing of of getting together. I would like to take it a little bit after they graduate from school. This is what we were talking, Danny and me, and because we do, it's important for us employment. And I was thinking like, what kind of people, what kind of future employees is this, uh, are these schools uh, grad graduating, we would say? We, which graduates are coming out of this school? And I believe, like from the Jewish side, we, you know, they go and they continue in the army. So definitely, we are we are receiving better people, people that are compassionate, people that are not afraid of the Palestinian, that they see the Palestinian as a human being. And from the other side, if we look at the Arab graduates, where we're having. Uh, students who are not afraid to go and seek work in Tel Aviv and work with majority of, of Jewish people. So basically, this is not only school, it's, it's a life that they are impact, impacting all of these places, you know, impacting the, the, the business community, they're impacting, uh, I see it as if we're we're impacting also the IDF, like we're we're bringing people that are much more compassionate. I would say I don't want to speak other words, but uh, so I I look at it above above the school, like we're we're impacting Israel to be a place that is is good for for all. So let me, let me ask you a question that is going to sound a little bit edgy, but I really mean it just as curiosity. Uh, let's take the schools where the students are more advanced, so Jerusalem, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, graduates out in the army, out in the workforce, and so on and so forth. What's their attitude to what this country should be? In other words, what we would call in Hebrew, Medina a country of all of its citizens without a particularly distinct Jewish quality to it, just happens to have a lot of Jews in it, but a, a complete, you know, European-like Western democracy, or a Medina Yudita Democrati, as the Supreme Court has said in a bunch of cases, right, it should be, according to that view, a, a Jewish and democratic state. How do the kids who get this kind of very unique education in Israel position themselves on that really complicated issue? I think they're all over the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's very interesting yeah. and that's what we want to encourage when we teach the students in high school about the history here and about uh, what you know there's a, a subject matter called Israchut right. and part of the students we have come from East Jerusalem and they're not even citizens of the state of Israel. They're not citizens of any country, actually. They're not citizens of any country. So you can understand how complex it is to teach these kids together when actually some of them are citizens and some of them aren't, and they can't become citizens of Israel. 
So that's why I think, and, but they have to deal with these issues and they have to um, uh, uh, create their own uh, uh, identity and how they feel about it. And uh, they have to create their... Um, their worldview. Their worldview, exactly. What, their worldview about what's happening here in Israel. But I'd say the values they base it on are equality. And the values they based it on is that uh, every collective has to have their uh, right for um, uh, um, uh, 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 national rights, also their national rights. So it can be a one, again, if we talk about, you know, like solutions you have for a conflict, it can be a one-state solution, it can be a two-state solution where you have a Jewish democratic state and you have a Palestinian democratic state can be a variety of issues, but the questions are what the values it's based on and not what the specific uh, solution is. And these kids are so, uh, uh, they, they have such a view, of, uh, a political view, they're so smart, they have such a complex view of what's happening here because they have to deal with it day to day. Now think of a kid that begins in preschool and goes all the way to 12th grade, and they're all the time together, Palestinians with Jews and Jews with Palestinians, and they have to all the time deal with their identity issues. They, it's, they don't take it for granted. Most Jews here, I can take myself. I took everything for granted. I, I grew up in a Jewish city with Jewish friends in a Jewish school. I only know Hebrew, Jewish youth group, and that's of him. So everything I've taken for granted about my Jewish identity. Now suddenly, when you have to deal with another narrative and another culture and another religion and another language, suddenly your whole worldview becomes much more complex and you ask yourself many more questions. And it deepens your identity. I can say personally, this is what happened to me in the last 10 years since I'm dealing with the uh, issues of shared society. It deepens my identity, but it also enables me to accept other identities. And I think this is what the kids go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, throughout uh, their school, and, and like I'm not, I'm not familiar with lots of graduates from hand in hand. Like uh, as we said, like I joined only two years ago, but I met a couple of graduates, and they're all like activists. I would say, like they know that they need to do something in order to change the situation, and even for that, this is this is worth you know, all, all of the investment, because like the, the young lady that we met, like she's in the university, but, but it's not about only studying and getting her, her degree. It's about going out and shouting in the streets and demonstrating and saying other things. So, I mean, we're, we're getting, I mean, looking at, I would say the, the Palestinian side of the story there, suddenly these, these graduates have, they are more daring, more open, and they can express themselves much more, much more, because they are, they know, they, 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 they understand their identity, which we can, we, sometimes we don't find it in, uh, with other graduates of regular schools, that when, you know, from Nazareth. I mean, comparing graduates from Arabic schools with the graduates from Hand in Hand, I would say that they are much more involved in the community around them. 
are both are both groups of students fully or very close to fully bilingual when they graduate? The, the Jewish students speak decent Arabic. I think they can communicate good in Arabic. I would say their pronunciation is is much more better than the than the majority of the Israelis. A, but it's still the, their third language, I would ima imagine, or fourth. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, there. Uh, uh, of course, the Palestinians know Hebrew excellent because it's a dominant language altogether. So if you also have it at school, but also in your surroundings, so they have Thank excellent Hebrew. And uh, uh, the Jews, they know Arabic. They can communicate. They can they can understand, but they're not as fluent as the Palestinians are in Hebrew, but I think the main thing is, and again, it's that they, when you know a language, you get to know a culture. Yes. So even if you're not the most fluent in it, but you, you get a feeling of it, you start yes. understanding it, I'm studying Arabic, you start understanding it, you enjoy the language as its melody, its culture, it, it changes the whole way you look at many things, and we know how many Jews in Israel are afraid of when they hear Arabic. Yes. They immediately have fear yeah. when they hear Arabic. The minute you know the language, you're acquainted with the language, it changes your whole your whole state of mind. Right. I mean, a lot of the people that are listening to us probably have the similar reaction when they hear German. A lot of yeah. American Jews, for example, when they hear German, it just evokes trepidation in lots of kinds of ways, even though rationally you know that things right. are kind of different now, to put it mildly. Um, but you're right. I mean, definitely, I think even here in Israel, all these languages, the sounds of all the languages evoke different kinds of different kinds of feelings. This is a government. Do you get any support from the government? How does this whole thing work? Where do the resources for this come from? Is it who's who's on the governance committee? Is it overseen by the Mishrad of the Ministry of Education? Tell us a little bit about all of that, where it's situated in the Israeli educational scene. We're part of the public system. And we want to be part of the public system. This is part of our ideology to be a part of the public so system. You're funded by so we're funded by the Ministry of Education. Uh, but we have additional funding from philanthropy in order to support, uh, you know, we learn two languages, which is not what happens in most schools. We add cultural lessons. We have certain lessons where we have two teachers in class. Yeah. Uh, a Palestinian and Jewish in order to be a model for shared society and to discuss the different topics and of course for development of curriculum because we have unique curriculum unique curriculum that of course is approved by the Ministry of Education and for all the community work we're doing so philanthropy supports us on that but the basic funding because we want to be part of the public system is from the government the issue is that the government there's no track that says Jewish Arab track. As I said, we have tracks before. So you all the time have to like uh, work with the Ministry of Education to make sure you fit in, you're okay. And this is something we feel and we understand we have to change. We have to, we are now promoting and we're trying to lobby for, uh, uh, there's another track we'll be, we'll, which will be bridging between um, uh, the Arab track and the Jewish track here in Israel, and actually, we're very happy that today there's a, a Knesset member, uh, uh, Rabbi Girat Kaliv, who is actually came out publicly and said he will support us in trying to uh, change the line at us as a track. So we don't know where it's going yet, but this is one of our goals today. And how many years have there been graduates of the high school? Uh, 
probably before I joined, I think there are like nine or ten years of graduates. And how many kids in that school are, are gra graduate a year? About uh, between about 30, 40. So there's, there's somewhere between, let's hundreds, say, 350 and 500 graduates. And we also have graduates from the elementary schools and right. the other elementary schools. So let's we just have talk hundreds about of graduates. Clearly, it's amazing. Yeah. Let's just talk about the graduates of the high school for a second because they're, if not fully formed adults, they're on the verge of being fully formed adults. Um, what are they up to now? They've been out, some of them, 10 years. Um, I assume most of the Jewish ones probably went to the army. Right. Most of the Palestinian ones probably didn't go to the army. Um, but what are they, what are, can you give some examples of the kinds of things that they're doing in society? And I'd also be really curious to hear about how participating in these communities has changed some of the parents. So who are these two groups of adults, the graduates of the high school and the parents of these kids? How has this whole experience changed them, shaped them? So as Reem said, first thing, they're, all, they're mostly activists. Actually, we, we also work with our graduates, and we just sent out a poll about it. So many of them are very active in wherever they are. And they're bringing this idea of shared society, if it's in the universities or if it's wherever they're employed and so on. They're all the time looking to make sure that, you know, they're bringing their ideas into those places, and it's sometimes a struggle. It's not always easy, of course, but sometimes it's really welcomed also, and they talk about it, because people see it as something unique, as something special. Most of them, most of the Jews, as you said, they go to the army. The Palestinians don't go to the army. Um, Just for our listeners to clarify, could they go to the army if they wanted, the Palestinian Israelis? Yes. They could, yeah. They, they could. could. They could, but there's a very, very small percentage of Palestinians who go here to the army. Would that be a good thing for them to increase the number who go to the army? I'm not sure. Like it's it's a different discussion. Okay. So I, I prefer not to go through this discussion now. Okay. But okay. I mean the, the the majority of I would say the 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 trend in the in the Palestinian uh, community is not to be part of the IDF. Like for us, the IDF is is something. Is there any discussion in the Palestinian community of doing something like national service, working in communities, volunteering? A lot. And now I know that lots of organizations are trying to, to reach, you know, to advance this idea. But I would say, like, the, the big problem of all of this national service and all of this, that it's related to the Misrada right, Bitachon. Right, to the Ministry of Ministry Defense. Of Defense. Right. And uh, this is the problem. It doesn't mean that people in the Arab community are not giving back to the community, but they are giving through other, other places that are not related to the... To so the when they go to university, they're typically younger than the average Jewish student? Much younger. They're, like they graduate 18 and they go to the university at the age of 19 or 20. And this is sometimes it is a problem because they're not fully aware of what they want to study. And because the median age of Jewish university students is about twenty-three, right? So they're three-ish years younger. So yeah. I imagine that's actually kind of a struggle for them, having been in such an egalitarian environment for so long. Of course. To find themselves in a situation where, first of all, the rest of that university world doesn't even understand the cultural. Set the cultural views that they're bringing with them, and they're socially in a kind of a different place in life. Right. right. You guys offer them support during the university years to, to help with that? So, so nice. 
Yes, I'll say a few words also about, uh, I, I think that should be one of the big goals also of the government here, to move it out of the, we're talking about the, uh, I'd call it a gap year, to create more and more gaps here, and there are NGOs that are dealing with it, and to move it out of the Ministry of Defense. It should be something civic altogether. So, if, so Israeli Jewish kids who go to Mechinot, yeah. that's te technically under the Ministry of Defense? No, it's... Uh, but, but, but usually it's Mechinat yeah. Tzvaid. Or Mechinat Tzvaid, right. It's a pre-military academy. It's all like pre <coughs> to the whole idea of the, of the IDF and Ministry of Defense. And I think if we, cre if we can create something that talks about civic obligation, let's have a gap year which deals with civic obligation, exactly. nothing to do with the army at this point, because we all understand the difficulty it is for Palestinians sure. to, to join the IDF. I mean... So let's, let's encourage something else, and I think that should be, and we're also thinking about it as hand-in-hand. Hand. That's also one of the, our thoughts about looking into the future. Uh, so uh, that's something very important to say, and I think that um, the more, and, and when they go into the universities, and now when the percentage of uh, Palestinian students in the universities in Israel is rising. What is it now, would you say? It's a, it's a much lower, I think today we're about 15, 15%? Or, I, I know the Technion, the Technion has the nicest exactly, number, which yeah, is 30%. Yeah, which is because right. of, the, of the location of right. the university, but I would say maybe 15%. I'm not, I'm not sure yeah, about the figure, student. but the Technion today has 30% yes. when, again, the Palestinian Israelis are about 20% of population today. What's also interesting... Well, just to everybody background, there's kind of Israel's MIT, right. more or less. It's the premier engineering mathematics school. Exactly. And what's also interesting, and it's important to say, that most of them are, are uh, female students, are women. That's interesting. Which is also very interesting. 60%. Yeah. Right. They, they lead the revolution. So 60% <laughs> of the Palestinian Israelis who go to MIT are women. Yeah, to the I mean, yes. uh, to, to the Technion, sorry, to the Technion are, are women. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually amazing. Yeah. It is, but actually the sad part is that when we go to the workforce, we don't meet them there. So this is because a challenge because they, they're, not, they're not able to find uh, jobs close to the, to the area that they live in. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a discussion of infrastructure and uh, daycares and all of this thing. But uh, I'm asking, isn't it changing slowly? Because I think also these figures in the Technion are relatively new. There was a big leap in the last few years. It is changing, and actually, like if if we take it to the to Alpha Omega to our company, so we have 48 percent ladies in in the company, which is a very nice number for the high tech. But I mean. Also, looking at the periphery and uh, the options that all of these ladies have are, are not, not as big as the options that the, the, the woman has in, in Tel Aviv and the center. So this is why we do not, we do not meet these numbers of 60% in the industry. That's also part of a question of a conservative society. It, uh, I don't think so, Danny, because like at the beginning when the government started studying the, the Arab population, they said it's related to the culture. But, uh, but when they started looking at the numbers in Jordan and in the, in the Arab countries, 
they saw that the numbers are much higher, and this is not related to the to the to the culture. It's yeah. related to the the options that the an Arab woman has for her around her, the options that uh, she can she can have, and. Uh, you know, we're still, like for me, I mean, like we, Imad and me, we got married, we lived in Haifa, but as soon as we had children, we moved back to Nazareth. Of course, we moved to, to start Alpha Omega, but the other thing is that for young couple to live in Tel Aviv, we have to remember that they do not have any place to put their children, an education school that they can put their children there. And here, hand in hand, has has the solution, I would say, for these kinds of people that they can grow their kids in a in a bilingual school. Uh, so, like. So, so it's interesting because now they combine all the last conversation, exactly. last topics. And you asked also, how does it influence the families? So just to give one example, which uh, I think demonstrates the connection between what we spoke about. Uh, one of the parents in one of our schools in the Galilee, he's a, a high director in a high-tech company in the Galilee. And uh, he started learning and also being part of celebrations of Arab holidays. In this high-tech company, they have about 20% Arabs. And he was thinking, we never, we always have like these uh, meetings toward the Jewish holidays, and we have the celebration in the company, and we give also like uh, gifts, gifts for the Vouchers. holidays. And it's always only the Jewish holidays, yeah. and we're not doing anything for the Muslim or Christian holidays. So he brought into the company the tradition that they start to refer also to the Muslim and the Christian holidays. So suddenly, now think about an employee who comes to work and never, his culture is never referred to. And suddenly people are, you know, he feels at home. Now he's not a guest. When he comes to work, he feels at home. Okay. And it sounds so natural. Why shouldn't, why, why not? It's not, you know, as a Jew, it's not threatening our Jewish identity. It's, it's being part of a company, a diverse company with different identities and let's have everybody feel at home in the company. So he brought that in and then they also start using the, you know, you always have the names of the conference rooms. And let's give it also some Arab names, not, names in Arabic, not only in Hebrew. So the whole idea of saying, yes, we are a diverse society. This is a Jewish democratic state, again, about the democracy, we can also talk from different points of view. But there's a majority of Jews here, but they're 20% Arabs. And we have to look at ourselves as a diverse society. And everybody who lives here has to feel at home and not feel as a guest. And it comes into, and, and, you, and you can see that through uh, the legislation here in Israel, and you can see it in, in the way uh, uh, the public sphere here in Israel, what the public sphere is, and what are the feelings in the public sphere here are. And these are things we have to change. And the way to change it is, as I said, to create more and more shared uh, uh, places where people get to know each other, where people learn about each other, and that has to also influence. That's the grassroots. At the end of the day, that also has to come from uh, legislation, and which needs some change here in Israel also. Just a little. Yeah, mm -hmm. quite a bit.
so we're, we're, we're going to wrap up soon, but just let's think about 10 years from now. So uh, in 2031, if three of us get together and we talk about what's happened with Hand-in-Hand uh, hand over the last 10 years, uh, both in terms of the school and in terms of the communities and its impact on Israeli society writ large, Israeli Jewish society, Israeli Palestinian society, uh, what are your dreams for the next 10 years? Hmm. So uh, we have dreams and big dreams, and we think they can we can also uh, fulfill them. And uh, first thing, what I'd like to see is to begin with that every mixed city or region has a has a, a bilingual school. Each one of them. How so many schools would that be in an ideal world? That will be if you have one, it will be 14, 15 schools. And the idea is that every family should have that alternative. We, I, I, we I, at least I, I get, you know, there's a culture here, there's a history, that's why we have tracks. But every family, Palestinian or Jewish, that wants an alternative to study together should have that alternative. And it should go from preschool all the way to 12th grade. And it should have community life around it, because then it also becomes a beacon for the public system here altogether, it becomes for, for the community which it is in, for the city which it is, and in society. And I believe the more school, if we have one school like that, there'll be more and more demand. And again, we'll have the different tracks, but we'll also have one track which can become much more than 14, 15 schools, which will say we can all study together. And the minute people see that, even as different alternatives, it becomes much more natural and people learn. And the second thing is the more we have, it can also uh, impact the public system altogether. And we're working on it because even if people don't want to study together in the same school, they can be in neighboring campuses and have part of the lessons together. They can have schools meet together. They can learn from us what it means to bring in quality into school, to become multicultural, learn the languages. There are many things that also the separate system can do and we want to be that way. We want to be like a startup, in which Ministry of Education, you know, we lead the way, and the Ministry of Education says, "Oh, this is a great idea. We exactly. want to add this into the uh, the public system also." And so, so we want. So to summarize it, we want to have our schools as a uh, alternative for any family who wants it, wherever they live. We want to have strong communities around it. We want to impact the communities and the cities which we, we are in. And we want the public education first thing to fully recognize us as a track and to learn whatever people feel they can learn from what we're doing to impact the full public system and not only the families that learn in our schools. Reem, do you want to add anything to the vision of the dream for 10 years? No. After what Danny said, I can't say it more beautifully, but I would say, like, after 10 years, maybe we can have this discussion in Arabic. Oh, so yeah. this is the challenge, <laughs> to have it in Arabic. We can do the so translation, can. yeah. So i just say, so, as somebody who uh, has known about Yad Biyad, Hand in Hand, uh, for a long time in Jerusalem, and some of our friends' kids actually work in the system and have been deeply inspired by it, to, to meet with the two of you and to just sort of hear from the, the real core, uh, the passion and the, the vision and the dream and the, the, the profound idealism that's at the core of the project. It's very moving. Uh, this is a society that can wear you down sometimes, and it can wear you down because of what's going on between here and the outside. Uh, and it can wear you down because of what's going on inside. And to meet with two people whose 
both of you, interestingly enough, come from the high-tech world and are startup, stuck to peace team, as we say in uh, Hebrew, you know, startup people. And, uh, you know, Danny, you've taken, you took a detour from the, from the startup world and are now devoting your whole professional life to education. Uh, and Reem, you're still very much in the high-tech world, but are obviously deeply involved in this also. Just as somebody who it's kind of life. <laughs> right. it's just very it's very moving. It's very inspiring. And we've been as a as a as a country in the last couple of months have not been easy on the uh, Jewish Palestinian front here at all. Listeners to the podcast know that we interviewed two different women who live in Lod who experienced one part of that very mm-hmm. disturbing, horrifying month. Uh, and we interviewed a Jew a, a Palestinian woman from East Jerusalem who lived a very different reality that we posted a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so it hasn't been an easy time here the last couple of months, to put it very mildly. And to, to meet with two people who are just doing such important and inspiring work to, to create a different option for people who seek, seek a different kind of society and who seek options for their children that the current educational system doesn't have and to seek for themselves social and communal options which don't exist for both of us. I mean, if I don't really have that option. My wife and I decided tomorrow we wanted to get involved in some sort of framework where Jewish families, Jewish couples, and Palestinian couples would would get together and learn, learn to know each other. It would be very hard to imagine sort of how you would go about doing that. I mean, so you're actually making possible something not only for the children, but for parents, which is really deeply moving and deeply inspiring. So I want to thank you both for what we'll you do. We'll invite you to our community. I would yeah. love to come. Okay. Yeah. I would love to come. It seems like most of these conversations end up with yeah. invitations. Yeah. When I was talking to Iman Ansari, she invited me to Jerusalem, or to East Jerusalem, or signing that up now. I would love to come. I think it would be fascinating. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you, both of you, for taking the time today, for making, for making time for the uh, conversation. Reem, thank you for setting us up here in this uh, very interesting high-tech setting. <laughs> in Nazareth, where you obviously are a very important person, so we're able to snag us a beautiful place to sit. And I look forward to speaking with you both again to hear how the project has moved forward. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.